Ready to connect with the investment community here in Cleveland? Want to learn about the people, events, projects, and firms that are making a difference? Want all that but feel like you don't have the time? This is the show for you. Welcome to Guardians of Finance. Brought to you by the CFA Society of Cleveland and hosted by Matt McLaughlin, Portfolio Specialist at Diamond Hill Capital Management, Guardians of Finance will provide you with a chance to foster deeper connections and know what is getting the attention of Cleveland's investment community. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform and head to guardiansoffinance.com where you can connect or reconnect with the CFA Society of Cleveland and attend an educational or social event and find volunteer opportunities. And now, here's your host, Matt McLaughlin. Welcome to the Guardians of Finance podcast. I am your host, Matt McLaughlin. In this episode, we talk with Brent Zimmerman, CEO and co-founder of Saucy Brewworks. While on the surface, CEO of Saucy Brewworks might not seem like the title of someone with a background in financial services, Brent tells us his story of how he began his business endeavors as a provider of liquidity starting at eight years old. And then he takes us through his career in buy-side investing, running a hedge fund, and eventually starting Saucy Brewworks while also using his financial analysis skills to actively participate in Northeast Ohio's real estate market. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode with Brent Zimmerman. Brent, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Matt. Just to start off for our listeners, maybe introduce yourself a little bit, kind of what you do now, and maybe just to get more familiar with you, if you could kind of just take us through a little bit of your background, kind of childhood up till college years, where'd you grow up, and kind of any stories from that time period of your life. Yeah, sure. So I'm Brent Zimmerman, CEO, co-founder of Saucy Brewworks. I develop commercial real estate as well, mostly multifamily and hospitality. I grew up in a very small town called Bellevue, Ohio. For those in Ohio that may or may not know it, it's about, oh, say 30 miles-ish south of Sandusky, Cedar Point, if anybody knows where that's at. Very small town, 8,500 people. The population hasn't changed, I think, since my dad was a kid, kind of place. My Mom grew up in a funeral home business. My dad owns a remodeling construction company that's been around since 1950. So I've kind of grown up in small business entrepreneur type family my entire life, the good and the bad. It's a roller coaster ride sometimes. I went to Miami of Ohio for college. I got a finance degree there. I graduated in four years. Very impressive. Most people don't. There were times where it was questionable. I think my summer abroad is the only thing that got me through the finish line in four years. I interned while I was in college in Miami at a mutual company called MFS, Massachusetts Financial Services in Boston, who actually has the tagline, they invented the mutual fund. I worked there for two summers and then they hired me full-time, created a junior analyst position in the fixed income world. So bonds, credit. I worked there four years full-time. I then went to Credit Suisse in New York for a couple years and did investment grade as well as high yield credit there. Still kind of on the analyst side of things. Myself and a business partner got, we're both from the Midwest, living in New York. I was pretty young, 27 at the time. Knew that I didn't really want to live my whole life, was having a blast doing it, wasn't in a hurry to get out. There's an opportunity that allowed me to come to actually to Cleveland to manage the Victory Capital investment bond business, uh, mutual fund business on the credit side of their business. And, you know, it was about a $4 billion business at the time. We're hired to turn it around. We hired our own people, turn the performance around. Some of the bank's clients then actually seeded a hedge fund for us inside the bank, long, short credit. In 2007, 2008 was the crisis. 
we did very well. We were up, I don't know, 14, 15% in 2008. We got shellacked. <laughs> we did well in 09 as well. Most got one of the two, right? Not both. That led to a couple of clients seeding us. If you remember back to 08 and 09, the big thing was Dodd-Frank. And so at the time, not many people benefited from it. I think we did. The bank basically was no longer able to hold hedge fund, private equity, and all that kind of risk inside their bank because the capital it's they'd have to take. So we were deemed no longer competing with the bank. So we could stay and run the long only business. We had to wind down our hedge fund. Or we could, if we had clients that wanted to seed us, we could go our own way. So which that's what we did. A couple of clients seeded us with $118 million in assets of memory recalls. We grew that close to a billion, two and a half billion dollars with leverage at one point. All mostly long short credit. We did hedge with some derivatives, equities, things like that, but you know, the bond world. And so call it 2015, 16, uh, you know, call 15, I was asked to invest in a another startup brewery. I did a bunch of work around that at the time. Eric Anderson, my business partner who I launched Saucy with, who was a brewmaster, a scientist, a biologist, et cetera. I didn't know that side of the business at all. I understood how to, you know, analyze financials and things like that. So I kind of brought him on to help. We went through an exercise and decided, I decided I, I wanted to do it. I didn't want to do what I was doing for the last whatever amount of years, 15 years, but I didn't want to do it with the people that wanted me to do it with. So that spawned Saucy Brewworks. That's how we started Saucy Brewworks. So in, in 15, we started hunting for a building. You know, I have a commercial real estate background. So we we bought a building, we rehabbed it. We opened the doors to the public in 2017. I'll take a breath. There could be much more detail, but that's kind of long and short of how we got here. No, that's great. And I don't know if that pun was intended, the long and short of how you got there, but <laughs> if, it, if, it, if it was, nice one. A lot to unpack. That's a really interesting background. So maybe we'll just rewind to kind of the childhood. You know, you mentioned you grew up in kind of a small business, kind of entrepreneurial kind of environment. Eventually went to Miami of Ohio and studied finance. Was there like one moment that you remember that kind of got you interested in finance or an experience when you were growing up? That's like, oh, I kind of want to maybe take my career to the finance direction or how did that path kind of start or that interest start into the financial services? So my dad made me work for his company. In I did construction. Like I put siding on, I put roofs on. And he really did it so that I wouldn't go into the construction industry or come back to Bellevue. <laughs> so I, I understood that I needed to understand finance, accounting, all those kind of things. So I owned a, an amazing baseball football card business. Like from the time I was like eight, I, I started a lawnmowing business. And like I was one of the main quote unquote like liquidity providers and traders of cards in our little baseball card shop in Bellevue, Ohio. I'd ride my bike to the shop and make deals. And so when I figured out what the stock market was and things like that, I just was super intrigued by trading. Still to this day, I am. I don't do nearly any of it anymore, but I like trading stuff. I trade wine futures. I trade baseball cards. I trade bonds, obviously. like You name it. I, I just love the market psychology of doing that. And I always wanted to work on Wall Street. My dad has a group of businesses, small businesses around the country that he's involved with that they don't hire, let's call it Arthur Anderson, a name that everybody know. They all consult each other. So each year they go to a different person's business. One of the summers, one of the businesses was in Nantucket Island in Massachusetts. And my dad asked me if I wanted to go. And I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. I want to go to Nantucket. So I sat through a couple of meetings, but really I just went to the beach and then ended up fishing with a fishing boat captain. And I just all week long fish with them. And they let me go free every day if as long as I helped them clean the fish. And, you know, that kind of spurred my love for the East Coast a little bit. And then the business owner in Nantucket was like, 
yeah, you can come stay with me this summer. You can be a bartender. You can work on my construction crew because you know how to do this stuff. And about two weeks before that happened, a client he built a house for on Nantucket Island called. They were having lunch, actually, and he mentioned me. And so this guy calls me out of the blue. Bill Scott was his name. He was head of marketing for all of Massachusetts Financial Services back in 19, you know, 97, 98, and said, hey, do you want to have lunch? I'm like, yeah, love to. Where at? Boston. I'm like, yeah, but I live in Ohio. He's like, all right, well, can you get on a plane? I'm like, yeah, sure. So I went and had lunch. Two weeks go by, and I thought I was going to Nantucket. He calls me like a day before I leave, and he's got like, you got a job. It's in the fixed income division. And at the time, I had no idea what that meant. I didn't know what bonds were. I didn't know what the fixed – I mean, I knew what bonds were a little bit, but I didn't know what the fixed income and right. The whole time, I'm like, I don't want to be in fixed income. I want to be in equities. And so they, you know, they took me on, and I learned a ton. And le- the bond market actually runs the world, not the equity market. And it's just gigantuan in size versus the equity market. And it really just gave me a great underpinning of understanding business and capital and capital formation and and how businesses really run. And it's it's just amazing foundation for doing anything, including starting businesses and analyzing businesses and things like that. So you're eight years old, you know, running this card shop. Sorry, I rewind a little bit there. Like you use the term now, liquidity provider. Did you know what you were doing at the time, or were you just kind of like, "Hey, I, I just got to make money, and this is how I make money"? And like, did you? I mean, did you know the term liquidity provider? Like, did you know those kind of financial services kind of terms, or did that come later? <laughs> no, I'm sure I did not use the term liquidity provider back then. <laughs> Looking back at it, in my business was me and my grandpa, and he retired. He was retired. He rode the riding lawnmower, and I had to push, and we did all the weeding, and the, and the main client was all their apartment units. So we were the crew. And then we got other clients because of it, because they all saw us doing it, whatever. But from eight all the way through college, I just had more cash than anybody my age because I always worked all summer long, you know, even in the college, you know, things like that. So I just saw this opportunity at this cart. Like I would just hang out there all day and take advantage of like, yeah, I guess it's not, it's not a really great term, but like when somebody needed to get some cash from something, I would bid them. No, I had no idea that I was a quote unquote goodie prior at the time. I just enjoyed the like the game of it. And looking back at it, it's kind of what I did. <laughs> sure, sure. So what was it about the East Coast that kind of drew you? I think you said you went to Nantucket and you're like, wow, I want to live on the East Coast. So like, what was it about that Nantucket or the East Coast that, that really drew you there initially? Yeah, I mean, have you ever been to Nantucket? Yes, I have. So like, to me, it's one of the most amazing places on earth. It's changed a lot over the years, but Boston in general, I love walkability and I love variety and the hundred institutions that are there and different people from all over the world. And I didn't have to own a car and it just fell in love with it. Walking down the street to a bar or restaurant. I didn't eat fast food for a decade. It doesn't even cross because there's so many little purveyors everywhere and fresh food everywhere. And Everything's walkable. If not, you're in a taxi or in the train. And I just love that. I love Europe. I, I love the density of people, right? So I just kind of fell in love with that versus I grew up in the middle of fucking nowhere in a cornfield, which, you know, in high school, it was good because we kind of stayed out of trouble. But I don't know. I just the pace of it, the excitement of it, the nature that it's much more 24 seven in nature. It was exciting. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I lived in Boston for a year. So I, I know it well. Where'd you live in Boston? What neighborhood? So I lived in Beacon Hill. I lived in Brookline. I owned a place in South Boston. I lived in Cambridge. I lived in Alston, a bunch of different places. Mm -hmm. 
Now, did you know when you were in Boston and eventually New York that you wanted to get back to the Cleveland area, Northeast Ohio at some point, or is it just the opportunity that popped up that is what drew you back? I kind of knew that because I love the Browns and I like playing golf and I was hoping someday that I could, I just never thought it would be possible doing what I did. And at the time I wasn't willing to sacrifice what I did because I mean, if you do a good job, you get paid really well. And in Cleveland, just the job market's way different than it is in Boston and, and Manhattan, et cetera. So, you know, I dreamt that maybe someday I could start my own business in Cleveland or something like that, but it would be well down the road. I, I didn't think I'd be coming back to Cleveland at 27, for sure. I honestly thought I would do a stint in Manhattan and go back to Boston, you know, and work for on the buy side again and do that. Or I actually had opportunities to go out to the West Coast. I thought that would happen before I go back to Cleveland. It was just a really interesting opportunity. Actually, a guy by the name of Michael Buchanan, who is my boss at Credit Suisse, grew up in Kirtland around Cleveland here. And he's now the head of credit, maybe of all of Whamco out in the West Coast, trillion dollar firm. And he was recruited by Victory because they knew he's from Cleveland. And Michael was basically, we called him Bucky, he was basically like, my wife will kill me if we don't move to California for this opportunity, but you should talk to Brent and this other guy because they're from the Midwest, they might do it. So at the time I was deciding about staying in New York, going to California or this opportunity. Like, if I don't do this in Cleveland now, I probably will never get back to Ohio. So that's kind of how it went kind of thing. So it was bittersweet. I love the East Coast. You know, the first bit of time that I was in Cleveland, I really missed it. I really wanted to go back, but now I love being here. So is there anything you miss about it even to this day that you're like, eh, every once in a while I need to hop on a plane and go to New York and have this or do that or anything you miss about it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the ocean, number one, it's like my happy place. The amazing restaurants all over the place, bars and restaurants, the walkability of that. I just, I mean, we have some good restaurants in Cleveland, but it just pales in comparison to those two locations. Whether it's just the diner around the corner or a two-star Michelin restaurant, just the pure massive opportunity there. I think I miss that the most. I miss that I have some really good friends there, so I don't get to see them as much as I used to. On the flip side, if you were ever to go back there and live back there, what would you miss about Cleveland if you left here? Yeah, I'd miss a lot. Affordability. <laughs> I would say I love the weather in Cleveland in the summer and fall, but it's also great in Boston in the summer and fall. We get a little more sunlight here. I would just miss the ease of life. Like I don't really drive anywhere here at all, even because my life's pretty concentric or whatever. But like traffic doesn't exist here. And even going to the Cape on the weekend, it's sometimes three or four hours, even though it should be an hour drive. I don't miss that kind of stuff at all. It's quite a bit more laid back here. It's not as much of a rat race. It's not as much of a competition, at least outwardly. I think I'd miss that. I mean, I mean, my family and friends here, I would miss a lot, you know, just like I miss them from Boston. Sure, sure. So talk to me career-wise, the progression from financial services and the buy side into kind of what you do now. Like Obviously, it, it was a progression. It makes sense. But is there anything about financial services since you're not in it on the day-to-day that you miss about that? Now that you're you know, CEO of Saucy Brew Works, like that you're like, oh, man, I really liked it when I was analyzing cash flows or whatever it is about uh, financial services. Like, Do you miss something there? Yeah, I do. I love that part of the competition. I love the competition of finding value, having a good trade. It was all digital in nature, but I, I like to compete so that you were competing all the time. I love Bloomberg. I love the amount of information you can get. I love talking to the traders. You know, I missed a lot of those guys. Even some of the salespeople that bother shit out of me. I miss some of those guys. And just the, I don't know, collegiality of it all, the 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 social environment of 
you work really hard, but then afterwards you all go out and get a beer kind of thing. Doesn't happen as much in Cleveland. I miss that. But there's nothing better than a great trade or a call that goes right after time, a call that you made in your portfolio. You know, there's different wins here at the brewery. They're just different in nature. But that whole just environment is hard to replicate. And I think it it really helps you learn to be actively, I guess, learning whatever on your feet pretty quickly, being able to do math pretty quickly. Being able, It's a pretty fast-paced environment. And I think that helps in every conversation you have subsequently because you're always kind of thinking a step or two ahead about, okay, where is this going kind of thing. And so I, I think it helps a ton in, in everything I do. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you know you get kind of different types of wins at the brewery now that feel really good. Like what are those wins that you get now that hopefully maybe scratch that itch of maybe competitiveness or whatever it may be that kind of makes your your current job really enjoyable? Yeah, they're a little slower in that like when you get great reviews on a beer or on a pizza or you're beating revenue targets from the quarter before or the year before, or you get it put into grocery sets that you weren't in before and that part of the business is growing. The beers or pizza get recognized by others through awards and things like that. I'm not the brewmaster. I don't make the pizza or the beer. I I do finance stuff and legal stuff and things like that. But we're all a team and we all support each other on a daily basis. And so you feel really part of that team. It's also great that at whatever time we decide we're done for the day, that we walk downstairs and we have a beer that tangentially we created. Most people want to take meetings here. I don't ever have to leave. That's great. And there's a reason because we have created a nice culture. We created a place people want to hang out at. People want to eat and drink a few. So it, it feels good that people agree with you that, yeah, we like it too. It's not just you kind of thing. Sure. How about maybe describe to, to people who may not know Saucy Brewworks that well, kind of what you guys do, what your niche is, and how the business has been going the last couple of years? Yeah. So we intentionally... So Eric Anderson and I were the original two founders. He's the chief brewing officer. I'm the CEO. Matt Schubeck is also a partner with us. He's our chief operating officer. But we intentionally... And Matt used to work with me at my hedge fund. And Eric and I were open for like a week and drowning. And I'm like, Eric, I got a guy. He's like, I, I, I trust you. Just get somebody, you know, kind of thing. Because we we're doing everything. A month in, he's here and he's drowning too. But we intentionally have always built this as a pub and spoke environment, meaning we are going to distribute to bars, restaurants, C-stores, grocery stores, but also open our own pubs. So just, you know, selling beer to ourselves, we call it. So that's always been a tenant of what we do. And we always look to expand both from a distribution perspective, as well as a more pub perspective. We currently, I would say, if you looked at the pub environment, 55 plus or minus percent of revenue is food. There are plenty of people who come here who don't drink at all. The consumer is very fickle. We're changing. We have new beer all the time because we people are interested in coming and trying new things in any industry as it relates to consumer goods. We have some line extensions going on as we speak right now that are out to public, but just different categories. One of the categories that's growing quite a bit is, is NA, non-alcoholic beer. So especially the generations that are younger than me are drinking less. And so sufficing that category as well as there's, you know, in the last few years, seltzers and ready to drink and things like that. They didn't exist five years ago. So that's taken some of the craft space. And so that's that type of innovation we're always kind of looking at. We also have a coffee brand. So Saucy Coffee, whatever. We have some coffee shops as well. We sell e-commerce on Amazon. 
which is cool. Geez, you could have a whole podcast just on that. It's a really difficult environment to sell things. It's not as easy as just like, oh, I want to sell coffee on Amazon. Yeah, quite go like that. And so we're really just in, I think, the business of consumer experience of create a culture that people want to associate themselves with. You could be in here seven days in a row and you'd have newborns, 90-year-olds, white, black, Indian, gay, straight, millennials, you name it. We've got a pretty good, diverse set of people coming in here. And I think it's just, we're trying to create an environment where people feel comfortable, where it's not too pretentious. We're not taking ourselves too seriously. We're saucy, but not too serious. And we have a lot of variety and you know we have some cool scientists and stuff that make good products. Cool. And do you do anything else on a real estate front or you just pretty much stick to the stick to the brewery and try to expand that business with a consumer? No, I do a lot of commercial real estate. I develop mostly kind of multifamily as well as a, we have a, a hospitality business that we own. Some, we own a hotel in Putin Bay. We own a hotel at Kelly's Island. We own a hotel in the, uh, it's more like a bed and breakfast, but the Washington and in Sandusky, Ohio, the Venture Island Resort at Kelly's Island and the Bayshore Resort at Putin Bay. So that's kind of, that's under a business we call Sleepover, which is hospitality focused. And then, you know, multifamily development. I, I try to do a deal or two every single year, depending on how big the deals are. So I still kind of do that stuff. Does that kind of scratch your financial itch a little bit that you get to do some analysis and some deal making there a little bit? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I just love real estate. I think it's the best asset class that exists on earth. There's just a lot of great attributes to if you do it right and finance it right and just the predictability of cash flow and and the asset types that I traffic in. Depreciation is a wonderful thing. Paying less tax is a wonderful thing. I just think the actual cash on cash returns are pretty stable and better than than most categories from a risk-adjusted perspective. Sure, sure. Any big plans in the future? I mean, you mentioned your, you know, the Saucy Brooks is coming out with different things on a constant basis. Any business plans for you in the future or just kind of continue what you're doing on the commercial real estate side and on the brew work side? We'll open some more pubs for sure. We're only 40-ish odd percent in grocery now. Hopefully we get that to 75, 80 in the state. So that will happen. I think there'll be some line extensions in terms of things we do, such as non-alcoholic beer, some other things. Commercial real estate, I have a 255 unit project we're doing right now in University Circle, right, right next to Cleveland Clinic. We're looking at multiple hotels right now. So hopefully it's it's already July. We haven't got a deal done this year. We did three last year. Hopefully we get one or two of those done. Yeah. And I just, I don't know, I just kind of stay involved in the consumer beverage restaurant industry as well as the commercial real estate industry and vet a lot of things all the time. I would love to buy another brewery or more. We bought one in December, Cartridge Brewing in the Cincinnati area. We just started, we signed them to Heidelberg Distributing down south. So that we started distributing that brand. Hopefully we'll get those in grocery sets and things like that. So I would, we'd love to create some more economies of scale on that side as well. We think there'll be a lot of opportunity over the next year or two. You haven't got any deals yet this year, but you don't strike me as a very lazy person. So I have a feeling that something like that will happen in the next couple of months. I hope. I hope. Yeah. It's not for lack of effort. It's just, you know, a lot of things have to line up to get it to the finish line kind of thing, you know? Sure. Any of those things that haven't lined up that are macroeconomic kind of related, you know, this is a CFA podcast. Like what have you been kind of running into that maybe has tripped it up? The number one thing we're thinking about right now is I think the next about 24 months are going to be really bumpy. I think there are a lot of commercial real estate loans coming due that won't be able to be refinanced because appraisals won't come in, especially in the office space. And I think that's going to reverberate down through 
just liquidity in general for all businesses, not just the businesses directly being affected. You know, costs and rates are a real thing. Ground up construction is very difficult without incentives. I think the city of Cleveland's making a mistake not incentivizing or taking incentives away from market rate, multifamily, things like that. I think three to five years from now, we're going to have not enough housing, even worse of an environment that we have right now. I think all those things are going to play out. I think SBA is going to be a real big problem. So the brewery that we acquired, there's an SBA loan associated with it. We're going through the assumption process. We'll see what happens, but we've taken over the payments. The interest rate's gone from 75 to 11.5%. So it's essentially doubled the cost of it. Not many small businesses are going to be able to sustain that. So I think there's going to be some type of restructuring at SBA, or there's going to be a lot of bankruptcies on top of the commercial real estate issue that I see coming. So I think the next 12 to 24 months is pretty interesting. The stock market going up 13 straight days is astronomical to me. I only buy anymore though. I don't do what I used to do. So mainly passive, just buying of index funds and things like that. I just think the stock market's way overvalued right now because of what's coming, but we'll see. I don't see the Fed stopping either. I think we'll still have another rate hike. And it's just expensive. I mean, to do anything. Labor is expensive. Goods are expensive. Raw materials are expensive. Rates are expensive. It's got to slow. Sure. You're not buying an inverse ETF right now? Two no. times levered? No. no, no, no. <laughs> and I'll kidding. probably be wrong, but I just, I don't know. The environment seems pretty ripe to me for a correction. Sure, sure. Well, maybe now is a good time. We kind of flipped to the end of the podcast to some rapid fire, more kind of lighthearted kind of questions. Would you be ready for that? I feel like you're going to be a quick study on these. Uh, it sounds good. I hope I don't let you down. <laughs> Do you have a nickname? I had a nickname in high school, Zeke, Z-E-K-E. And now everybody just calls me BZ, Brent Zimmerman, BZ, short. I call my dad GZ. I call my mom CZ. It's dumb, but I guess my nickname is BZ. <laughs> Where'd Zeke come from? I think he was like a famous character in a, either a cartoon or a TV show. And my football coach, my dad's nickname was Zeke in high school. And they just kind of, and my you know football coaches and stuff, I'll play with him and they just kind of carried on. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Favorite hobby outside of work? Golf. Where's your favorite course in Cleveland? I used to belong at the country club, Pepper Pike. Then I had two little guys and moved to, little guy and girl moved to the west side of Cleveland. I love that place. I love Canterbury Country Club. Those are my two favorite golf courses in Cleveland, I'd say. But a lot of what I play now is it's just, you know, event driven, like charity events, all that kind of stuff. So whomever invites me or whatever, I just play wherever, wherever the next round is kind of thing. I don't, I don't get to play near as much as I'd like. Sure. Best book about investing finance that you've ever read? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. I have no idea. <laughs> so I had a, a couple of weeks back, I had an interview and I, I copped out of that one. God, I don't know. Cause there's like 15 great book, 20, 30, whatever. I actually, I read probably... I don't know, one to two bucks a month. I'm not like an avid reader, but I don't not read. My wife, I think she plows through two a week, probably. I don't know how she does it, but I love, and this is a little cop-out, but I'm going to answer how I want to. I love Kobe Bryant. I love Michael Jordan. I love Tiger Woods. And I love just the way they competed, the things they talk about, the lessons that when they're interviewed that they give and just the insatiable competitors that they are. And then to me that just the work ethic of what they did. Yeah. I learn every book that I read. It's something I just, something can't replace that. And Kobe has this famous saying, what's your 4am? And, and I, you know, I think about that all the time, meaning what are you willing to do? And in small business and when you're 
going through this and starting this, it's rough. There's a lot of shit that happens. You can't even believe it some days. And so I kind of looked at, not that I haven't learned things from books, but the experience of listening to how the best of the best compete, I think helps me more on a daily basis. Sorry, that's a cop out, but. That's all right. I think I can tell that you'd be a fan or you are a fan of The Last Dance. The series oh, yeah. Of oh, yeah. Love it. Love it. Favorite of mine, too. Okay. Profession you'd be in if it wasn't... I feel like you've had kind of two careers or two professions. You know, Throw those two out. What profession would you be in if it was something else? So like, does that mean real estate doesn't count either? Yeah. Don't put anything that you've already done. That I've already different. done? Yeah. Specific job or industry? Industry. Because like... If I could own the Cleveland Browns, that would be number one. I'd love to be like, or the like the CEO of the NFL or the commissioner, but those are big aspirations, right? Of the PGA. So I would say I'd like to be a golf course superintendent. There you go. Hidden talent? Hidden talent. I have amazing hair. <laughs> I'm 45 years old. My wife still just wonders how I don't have any grays. It's good talent. That's yeah, good talent. I don't think it's really a talent. I think grit. I just don't give up, sometimes to my detriment. Work ethic, grit, just being able to persevere even when it looks really bad in terms of like what you're facing. You know, COVID was a perfect example of just how we really managed through that. And a lot of businesses didn't. I think it's the combination of of those kind of, I'm going to make it through whatever. It seems like it's impossible, but we're going to figure it out kind of thing. And I just always have that belief. Sure. Best lunch spot in Cleveland that you don't own? Best lunch spot in Cleveland that I don't own? Astoria. Astoria? Yep. And maybe maybe this goes on to this question too. Favorite hidden gem in Cleveland? Doesn't have to be a restaurant, but hidden gem. Would it be Astoria as well? Or is there enough, something else that you're like, wow, not a lot of people know about this, but they should. I mean, does Edgewater Beach count as a hidden gem? Uh, maybe for people in the suburb. We can go with that one. <laughs> it's a pretty cool place. I'll let that qualify. Favorite Metro Park? Edgewater. Edgewater. Favorite social media follow? That I follow? Yes. Tiger Woods, like which he doesn't even run it. But you know what people like this whole Taylor Swift thing going on and Harry Styles thing going on. And just there's not a single human on earth that I care that much about except Tiger Woods. Well, I don't necessarily think he's an interesting follow by any stretch. There's really funny people. He's my number one. He's the only person that I really just want to meet and play golf with. What show are you watching right now? Does the PGA Tour work out? <laughs> we can have that qualify. You're not, you're not I on don't, Netflix. I, I, from time to time, I don't watch much TV. I watch golf. I watch the NFL. I'll watch soccer now that Messi's in the US. I love the NBA. I don't spend a lot of time on shows per se. I love Ted Lasso. I did watch that. Yeah. Okay. That's one of my shows of all time. Yeah. Agreed on that one. That is one of my favorites as well. Yeah. I'll find that one for right now. Given you're an avid Cleveland sports fan, and most people are that come in the, the show that I think live in Northeast Ohio, mash a couple questions on where you were when this happened. Where'd you watch the Cavs win the NBA title? In the stadium. I watched it in the stadium with my dad. And we were a partner of the Cavs at the time. So we partied in the stadium until probably 5 a.m. with employees of the Cavs. So we we had this big debate on, should we go to the game there or should we stay here? You know, that kind of, so we ended up staying just because of the party and, and back in Cleveland. And like, it was almost sunrise before we left the stadium, I think. 
Where did you watch the Guardians lose their world? I guess the Indians lose a World Series to the Cubs. The stadium with my wife. It was, I'll never forget when Davis hit that home run, I almost lost my voice. And you're like around a bunch of Cubs fans. And they're like, dude, you need to chill. You're going to have a heart attack. (laughs) I mean, I stood up before it went out. And then they, oh God. And then the rain delay, which was bullshit. Yeah, we were in the stadium behind home plate. You know, like three, four rows in the upper deck. Sure. Where were you when Jordan hit the shot over Elo? In Boston. Over Elo. Over Elo, yeah. I'm sure I was at my my house I grew up in. The one that he hit over Russell in the Jazz, I was in Boston in a flat in Brookline with people that I barely knew. And they were just like, you're obsessed. Like, yeah, this guy's the <laughs> What was your reaction when LeBron left Cleveland? Visceral. <laughs> Not happy. I was out. This is back when I worked at the hedge fund. I was out with folks from J.P. Morgan that were in town from New York. And some of us from our desk and just devastated. They were like, this night's over. These guys, are, I, we couldn't even talk. We were so upset. I think one of my buddies burnt a t-shirt. All that. <laughs> funny, funny. That is all the rapid fire questions I have for you, Brent. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Really fun conversation. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Guardians of Finance brought to you by the CFA Society of Cleveland. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform and head on over to guardiansoffinance.com where you can connect or reconnect with the CFA Society of Cleveland, attend an educational or social event, and find volunteer opportunities. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Guardians of Finance.